Yeehaw! Hello and howdy! Thank you for joining us on the Canon Stats Podcast. This is the second edition. Um, I think we will have some some better, smoother sailing going here, but I thought the first one was pretty good. Um, I think we are still well on track for this to be known as the world's best Arsenal analytics podcast. We have a, a very, very exciting show lined up for you. We're going to be talking a bit on Mudrick, the move to Chelsea, the fallout, all that stuff. I'm sure we'll talk on some, some North London Derby. I think we definitely have some plans for alternatives to Mudrick. And then we will look ahead to the match on Sunday with Manchester United. Are they real title challengers? And just to get a sense of them. So I think that is an exciting thing. And I think it's time to to join my co-host, um, Adam. Welcome. What's up? I have got a, an actual working microphone for this. So I'm hoping I'm not killing anybody's ear eardrums. Uh, this is not only the analytical Arsenal podcast. This is the number one leading podcast in Mudrick doubtership. Um, yes. And so we are taking our victory lap. Not really. I mean, I think Scott <laughs> and I are both disappointed not to get a player, but um, I joke. Yeah, and I think well, that's definitely something we'll talk about, right? And I, I mean, I felt like I was kind of in the, I feel like both of us were kind of in the forest alone, um, you know, being I don't know, like people throwing rotten fruit at us, kind of a thing. Because I think we were a little bit on Scott. If you remember, um, it was a little bit of a repeat of basically a year ago um, on Dusan Vlaovic. Uh, You and I were both, I think, pretty lukewarm on him. Um, I think that sounds about right. Yeah, a lot of the numbers on him just were not uh, that exciting. Um, It was kind of like it was kind of like left foot make ball go burr. And, uh, and people were getting very excited about that. And Scott and I were sitting here like pushing our glasses up our nose and saying, well, actually, um, and people were not enjoying that. And we kind of did the same thing here. So Scott and I uh, love to wander in the wilderness on these links and just like ruin everything. It's like a stat guy's job, really. Right. I think, well, I mean, the stats guy's job is to stop you from making expensive mistakes. And I think, I think with hindsight being 2020, it kind of looks like Vlahovic was a bullet dodged. Do you, do you agree on that one? I mean, yeah, uh, we, we can't know for sure what would have happened, but I think so. One year in, uh, it does feel that way. Um, I, you know, his production uh, tailed yeah, off. 18 months. Oh, yeah, I guess we are a full month, a full year in. No. His, his production tailed off and it's, and it's kind of a combination of things. I mean, he, he's not getting as many penalties at Juventus, which is actually maybe narratively like not what you would expect, but um, you know, the, the Massimiliano Allegri factor, I mean, you gotta, you gotta throw that at him. I mean, it's just yeah. absolutely dead uh, brand of football. So, you know, I mean, I would, I would not sit and like, uh, you know, roll my eyes if someone was like, well, if you put him in a more attacking system, maybe he would be actually really good. Um, I understand why people like him at this point. You know, he burned Arsenal. Um, I frankly, I am really worried that he's surrounded by like potentially legitimately bad people. Um, So I would not uh, get in bed with with him and his his cohorts. But um, it does. It hasn't been a great year for him. I'll say that. Yeah, so I'm I'm going to look. So he's got just under 2000 minutes in Serie A with Juventus and he's at 0.56 goals, um, non-penalty goals. Which is again, it's not bad, but for the fees that are kind of talking about for him last year, I think that would have been a bit of a disappointment. I mean, that's you know kind of what Jesus is doing, but I don't think he would do nearly the same off the ball kind of stuff that Jesus is doing. And I think you know right. he'd be kind of in that Eddie kind of role. And if you know that's kind of what Eddie's been kind of giving Arsenal in the similar you know, kind got of 
two what two league goals and four starts since uh, since he came back, right? Or is it two and five? Either way, yeah, I think it's something around that. We can we can look it up, but I think that sounds close enough for the vibe. So um, I think that's enough um, of a, a bit of a detour in there. So let's let's get into to Mudrick. Um, so yeah, this move has been officially hijacked. Um, so I know I was you know scrolling Twitter on Saturday morning, and I saw the the thoughts of. Chelsea making another move to him. And my first thought was that they're just really trying to push Arsenal again, because it really felt like all of the signals that were coming out is that this move was basically at the finish line and it just needed to get kind of pushed across for Arsenal. But I thought Chelsea's kind of last second thing was basically just to try to force Arsenal to really kind of stretch, maybe get another, you know, five to 10 million out of Arsenal. But I guess it didn't turn out that way. So I guess what were your thoughts when we were looking at things on Saturday morning? Well, it's, I mean, it's really tough because um, I personally, I was driving to like a belated family Christmas and my phone starts lighting up like as we're, as we're <laughs> loading the car. Um, so I spent most of that drive, like saying to my wife, please, can I look at my phone? Uh, she's like, you are literally, <laughs> like, can I just driving? pull over and change positions here? Right. <laughs> we were, we were also running late, so she didn't want to stop and, tra- and trade. Um, so yeah, it was, it was a roller coaster, um, early on. And, you know, I, I had kind of gone, uh, over the past few days being kind of critical of some of the stuff with Mudrick. Um, some people were saying that I was posting too much about some of the stuff that, that I felt he really needed work on. And, and it wasn't, it really was not because I didn't want him to join or anything like that. I just think as the money goes up and up and up, you do have to be more critical. It's just basic. Mm-hmm. It's like a basic principle of, of like investment in anything. Um, if you're buying a car for $80,000, you should be really critical of that car. If you're buying a car for $1,500, like, yeah, it's going to have some problems. And you know that you get what you, yeah, you're for. willing to overlook a lot of problems when the price is low, right? It's, Cause it's like, it's, you just yeah. don't have the same expectations. And I think that was something where I felt that even if he like met my expectations for him and just to put it out there, my expectations for him, especially this year was that he was going to kind of be a bench to potentially rotation player. I, I didn't really expect him to get more than six to 800 league minutes. If he had came to Arsenal this year. Yeah. And then I think that's kind of where my level is. And, you know, maybe it's just, you know, a good attacking player, maybe, you know, a goal and assist every other game type player, Right. But when you start getting to that kind of fee, the expectation is now going up, what the fans are expecting, what the pundits are expecting, and that pressure going on. And it just felt like what the actual realistic expectations and then the expectations that are going to come along with that fee became way out of whack. Right. Yeah, it's and once and I th- I think the other hard thing is that once Chelsea involves themselves, it's the same thing that happened with Joao Felix, where we're we're sitting here saying well, you know, for for this uh, for this amount of money, what's a realistic expectation? Because we're we're coming at it from Arsenal's point of view, um, where seventy million pounds uh, can be like. I mean, it can be. It, I mean, we literally are. It's been a record fee for Arsenal, right? I mean, or it have been right about the record fee. And we're we're literally living an existence right now where a seventy million pound player we cannot move him on, um, <laughs> and and it's and it's. Like it's hurting the transfer business. Like I, I shudder, I shudder to imagine what would have happened on the right wing if Bukayo Saka did not come along. Like that was that was hugely lucky for Arsenal in a lot of ways. Not not to discount what they did with him in the academy, but um, so Chelsea comes in and all of a sudden it's like, well, Chelsea will pay a hundred million pounds. Chelsea will pay him double the salary and blah 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 blah. And all of a sudden, you know what? 
I can I can sit here and I can justify 75 million pounds on Mudrick on a lower wage um, because it does make sense to me on some level. But if Arsenal made that deal, if they gave him 100,000 100, K a week or sorry, 100 K a week or more uh, like Chelsea allegedly did, all of a sudden it just completely makes no sense. So that's why it, it was so obvious to me uh, why Edu would would walk away from that, why Arteta would walk away from that. Because like he said, we will do the deals that we can do that make sense for the club. And at that point, it just doesn't make sense anymore to stay in. Yeah. And I think one of the things like you just have to kind of tip your hat to Shakhtar because I think they played this absolutely perfectly and they really did get the number that they wanted to. So I think they did, uh, you know, the absolute perfect job of what a selling club yeah. is looking to do. Like they kind of slow rolled it. This is kind of what they did with with Leverkusen last year, too. Right. And I think Brighton as well, where, you know, they tried to get a bit of a bidding war going, you know, kind of put the feelers out that, oh, we have, you know, a 20 million um, euro valuation on him. And then as, you know, teams met it, they're like, well, you know, this team's interested and we're going to try to move the goalpost a little bit and be able to do that. And, you know, they went and did that exact same thing between Arsenal and Chelsea. And they, they did finally get their their man, I guess, the, to be able to kind of come in and be the, the way I say it is, you know, the bigger idiot in this. And I think I reason I say that is because, to make this deal kind of work out, he really does probably actually just to make the deal okay. He has to probably hit his seventy fifth percentile outcomes, and like yeah. that's just you know one like right, that only happens about seventy five percent of the time. So like that's just you know twenty five percent of the time. And to really kind of make this a really good deal, it's probably like eighty fifth ninety percentile like outcome where he's like really like not just a serviceable winger, but like a top five winger in the world. And I think to have been an okay transfer, he would have been had to have been, you know, a, a starter caliber, you know, on a toxics team um, to make that work out. And, you know, that's, it's certainly possible. And it just became less and less likely that these deals don't work out. If you go look at the history of deals that are like over 50 million pounds or over 50 million euros, there's a lot of bad, I guess, you know, decisions or transfers that didn't work out. And I think a lot of that is what, you know, in economics there's called the the winner's curse. The team that ends or the person who ends up winning an auction is the person that has that kind of the most optimistic view of how something works out. And you know, when you're the most optimistic, there's a more chance that you were too optimistic, right? That you know the you think about the wisdom of the crowds, they're going to be lower than the guy that's the most optimistic and that's probably the people that are more right than wrong so yeah i think that's kind of where this one ended up yeah all right all right this was not planned scott but i have you're gonna throw a curveball at me i have to cut into the planned structure and share that eight minutes ago as we we record this james mcnicholas has tweeted with a siren emoji or whatever you call the thing that swirls around the actual flashing lights the siren is the sound um that arsenal will be targeting a summer move for declan rice uh, backing up some of the reporting from Gary Jacob and the uh, the Arsenal ITK account that I literally made fun of not 12 <laughs> hours ago. So, so let's do this. Let, should we talk about some Declan Rice? Because yeah, like, so. I mean, right? this is this is breaking news. For. Unplanned. We, although we did we did talk about it before we started recording. So yeah, let's 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 kind of break the you know I guess break the format and go into it. Yeah. Um, so I, Scott, I feel like I feel like I should probably start off this discussion because I have been kind of standing on the table about why I do not expect this move to happen for okay 
months. Uh, go to Gunner. Go ahead and ruin it for us. Go, go ruin Cannon, everything. Go to CanonStats.com to read why I personally have not been expecting a big DM addition for Arsenal um, as part of the plan. Um, so let me let me just kick things off. When I when I write stuff like this, um, I love. I would absolutely love to be wrong. Um, I if Declan Rice comes in, I will be thrilled. Um, because I think that that's a very ambitious movie. He's obviously very talented. Uh, English, full English, international starter in every game at the World Cup. Uh, seventh year starting in the Premier League. Two numbers that Scott and I will both say are very good. Um, so what I've always kind of thought is the hang of the hang, or what, what I thought would be the hang up of this is the money. Um, I, I have no issue, or I have no problem seeing Arsenal shell out. 80 million pounds for a player. Clearly they're basically just about to do it on Mudrick, right? But what I kind of was, was thinking would be the issue is we've got Thomas party in the same position, 200 K a week. Uh, maybe I think maybe it's like 220. Um, so Declan rice comes in. He's not on that much at West Ham right now, but he is clearly a very high profile player. Um, and I think that he's going to have, he's going to have suitors, probably not just in England. Uh, it looks like he's on about 60 K June 24 expiring. Um, I've heard that he has an option to extend or that West Ham has an option to extend by a year, but um, no idea how that. But yeah, I mean, you kind of think about the contract situation. This is the time if West Ham is going to cash in where they're going to have the most leverage to be able to do it. Right. Like this is the time. And their project. I mean, to be fair, their project is bottoming out. Um, Mm -hmm. They, they brought in Skamaka. uh, They brought in uh, Dean. Was it Dean? No, that he went to Villa, but they brought in, uh, the defender, uh, Aguard, um, they they tried, right? They tried to really capitalize on last season. They kept uh, Jared Bowen, and it's just it's just not working. I think David Moyes is probably going to get sacked by the end of the year. They're sitting 18th. Um, so, you know, there's every reason to believe that maybe they need to hit the reset. How better to do that um, than by getting 80 mil in the, in the, in the door on a player who clearly wants to leave? Um, so, but my, my, my thing where I was pessimistic was always going to be, well, how do, how do they make that work parte next to rice? I think you basically have two guys who are defensive midfielders. In my opinion, maybe rice is going to be a great eight, like granite jacket turned out to be, but um, I have, I have a difficult time seeing it. So how are they going to get two guys who are essentially what, I mean, you'd probably say top two of the top five DMS in the league, right? Um, When they're fit, Thomas party obviously has all these injury issues, but that doesn't mean that they don't pay him while he's injured. Um, KSE famously not a very freewheeling spending kind of group. So um, I just always kind of felt like, you know, would they pay 400, 450K on two players who say play the same position, uh, who both can't play at the same time, I would expect. Maybe they can. Maybe you move Party up to the eight. Maybe you move Rice up to the eight. I don't know. Uh, but that was always my hang up. And I felt like, um, is that really that attractive of a of a prospect for Declan to come in and, and compete with a fellow top fiver in his position? Um, obviously, he can be the long-term successor, but Party's got two years left on his deal. He's got, let's call them personal issues around him that make him unsellable along with his wage. Uh, so it's just, it's just always been really hard for me to see. That said, if they can bring him in, obviously that is a huge, huge shot in the arm for depth. Um, in the midfield, and I would love to see it. Yeah, and I think that pretty much echoes kind of my thought. Yeah, I definitely have thoughts or concerns if he can actually be a, an eight in the system that Arsenal play. 
I think that he would look really, you know, I think he would look really good at the base of a midfield, but you're right. There is the, you know, the idea of how much or how many minutes Arsenal can commit to both of those, both of those guys. I mean, I think overall his age profile fits the, you know, the rest of the project a lot better because you kind of look at a map of where Arsenal are squad wise and, you know, the two obvious you know, glaring things in the first 11 are Xhaka and Party. Those are the guys that are kind of at the the end of what you'd consider their prime years. So I think this one would make sense in that we're getting the successor in. Maybe we're getting the successor in a year early. Um, you know, Party gets one more year as the guy before we transition to Rice. So if that's what, you know, we, the plan is, I think that would actually make a lot of sense, right? You give, you know, Rice some rotation minutes you know he could you know be able to start maybe some champions league games but again like how much is tom like thomas party wants to, you know came to arsenal he wants to play in the champions league you're not going to be able to like say oh sorry we're going to give those to, to rice now um like that's that's the whole reason like you know players want to come to a team that has champions league football because they want to be able to play in the champions league so like yeah. that's not going to necessarily work but well and, and I mean, the thing that i always push back on is the statement that um, we're going to have the Champions League, we we need more depth, is true. Well, it's, it, yeah, it's true. It's one hundred percent true. But um, so look at it this way: um, imagine you do have a top five uh, player at any position in the league, um, and he's not injury prone, but you don't have a great backup for him. So you suddenly have, let's call it, ten to fifteen more high leverage, high stakes games. Uh, worth of playing time to offer that that's what you have uh if if this player does not come in and legitimately take away that role a la Zinchenko to Tierney mm-hmm. um you kind of look at you know I mean what what's 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 the package that you're putting forth to attract this player you're saying hey Declan Rice uh you can come in we have Thomas Party here he plays when he plays we win but by the way, we're going to bring you in. Um, maybe you can take away his minutes. Or, um, and, and I think, I think you know, we, we probably should pump the brake a little bit. Arsenal planning a move for a player uh, clearly does not always result in Arsenal getting said player. Yeah, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be cynical here for a second and think like Arsenal just missed out on a big marquee signing. Are they leaking this to kind of get things off their back a little bit right oh it's like oh we were gonna Stranger things oh yeah that. we missed this and no now we're gonna try to make everybody feel a little bit better by distracting yeah. you with this new shiny target for the summer and, and maybe that's a little too cynical but that I, I that is definitely going through my no, mind no well and this is scott this is where you and i lose like popularity contests a little bit too because i think we're both of a similar mind where we we do think this way um <laughs> and and we say we say yeah you know there's the pr angle but there is i mean like let's just let's just sit here and be straightforward like who are the last five six players that kind of sort of came out of nowhere um that were these big pops online arsenal are planning up a move for this guy like how many of those guys did we get they didn't get Mikhailo Mudrik. They didn't get Rafinha. They didn't get Lissandro Martinez. They didn't get, um, there was another one that I was going to list. They didn't get Vlaovic. It's just, there seem to be a number of these, these things where they come out and they're like, you know, they're very exciting. Um, and, and again, this is a really exciting story. I love to be linked to really good players. Um, but, uh, you know, we, we are, we are going to have a few months to really have to chew on this. And, you know, I mean, I'm sorry, 
Todd Bowley's across town planning God knows what for the summer. So, <laughs> you know, and I guess so just to, to touch on, I guess, my thoughts on race. And it's like, I, I do think that he is a legit, like good player. And I would very much be excited for this. And I think that this is the type of thing that, you know, if it, the club is going to be, I guess, serious in the sense of we're not just talent, you know, challenging for being a top four team, but like legitimately like thinking through, we want to challenge for titles consistently and not just, you know, focus on, you know, a couple windows. Like this one does make a lot of sense. Like this really fits the project, the age profile of the, you know, the attacking talent that the team has. And like, you could really kind of imagine like this window of, you know, the next three years, with you know the core team together like he really does fit there and makes a lot of sense so like i'm not saying that this deal doesn't make sense or that i wouldn't be excited for it declan rice is a very good player and i am very excited about it there is questions of you know would you know i guess where does it fit within you know the the wage squad building type structure for what we need to do and you know if if you know Cassie is going to sanction being able to do that, I am all for this. Um, it is just you know we don't know all of those plans and all those kinds of things. I do have you know questions about why this move is being talked about now. I mean, I guess you, you kind of you know start talking to to agents obviously before those kinds of things happen. And I I 100 don't think West Ham would sell him now when the middle of their relegation fight. But no. I, I guess that's kind of the things. Whereas I, I start feeling a little cynical. The reporting is definitely for the summer too. Let's just let's just be clear about that. It's it's Arsenal weighing up a move for Declan Rice like in the summer. So, um, and I think even even just the tweet that James put out is says, um, you know, Arsenal know that that he won't move in January, but it seems like West Ham have accepted that he'll move in the summer. So, so I guess we'll have to see. I mean, um, you know, obviously Scott and I will both follow Rice uh, throughout the rest of the season, and we'll follow the headlines and stuff, and we'll see basically like what what comes out of it because it could be it could be a really exciting thing it could be a whole bunch of nothing you know that we end up debating a bunch of time on um just for the you know for the record same thing with Mudrick I would love to I would love to see him come in I don't know if I completely see it happening yet but we will we will pay close attention all right so I think that's a do is there anything on Mudrick more that you you want to talk about I mean I think one of the things that we kind of both touched on on our our postmortem stuff was the ability to i guess like have a valuation and a proper way or a, a spot to say no at so i guess i mean i think that is something that i think arsenal fans don't love and i think that's something that i, I saw so much of is it's like well why didn't arsenal just go the extra 10 million well one because it wasn't just 10 million it was probably an extra 30 million and who knows what todd bowley is going to do like does todd bowley push it another 10 percent, and like arsenal have to you know try to match that i think there is a point that you have to be able to walk away so i mean what are your thoughts i guess around that you uh so yeah i mean first of all i think i do think that the that the why why aren't they throwing in an extra five mil or whatever? I mean, I I think that that is a little uh, just I guess so the people being, that that haven't heard that right. So it's like because like Arsenal were at I think ninety million all in while Chelsea went to a hundred million all in, but really in reality, like I think Arsenal were at sixty million guaranteed plus thirty million in add ons, while Chelsea were seventy million guaranteed with thirty million as in add ons. The reporting yeah. I've seen says that Chelsea's add ons were much better structured for them to be able to actually hit. So maybe like it was, you know, Arsenal's might've been like, Oh, win the champions league kind of a thing, or, you know, win the premier league type stuff where, you know, maybe Chelsea's are 
performance based where you know he hits certain um numbers of you appearances. Know, uh, yeah appearances or goals or something like that so yeah, yeah i think that's one of the things and then i think yeah the other part is the wages right i think at, at yeah, arsenal one of the things that made it so this appealing and why i think arsenal were willing to go to the the transfer fee that they are you know kind of talk about here is that he did seem to be taking a massive discount on wages for what a player on this kind of a transfer fee would get and it seems like Chelsea basically brought him up to par with what you kind of see with these kind of transfers. Yeah. And, and the reporting, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong here, Scott, but the reporting that I had seen is that basically they got to a point where Chelsea had this package that was agreeable. Shakhtar is agreeable for Mudrik and basically Mudrik or his people or whatever went to Arsenal and said, Hey, will you guys match this? And they said, no, mm-hmm. I'm assuming that's inclusive of his wage packet, which again is, was part of the appeal. Yeah. And I mean, I, I never, I guess, begrudge a player of going to get paid. I mean, by all accounts, like oh, man, he is paid. like not, not on a lot, uh, you know, in the Ukraine and the money that we're talking about, like that will legit set him for life. So I, I do not begrudge him for choosing money. I don't think that, you know, careers are short and I think you need to maximize your earning potential here. So I definitely don't, you know, I'm not going to send him hate for doing that because I think in, all of us in that situation would make that same exact choice. And I think, you know, probably in our jobs now, like we, the, you know, how much a company pays you is, you know, the biggest factor in where you choose to work. Right. So, all right. Um, any final thoughts there? Do we want to talk a little uh, North London Derby? Let's talk. Yeah, let's talk about some things that actually happened between the white lines. I think that might be. Yeah, some good stuff. Fun. Um, before we do that, I guess we'll we'll take some some housekeeping. Um, this is the the crab or the cannon stats podcast. Oh man, I still get you know that one. It is not crab. In there. Yeah, not crabs anymore. We're we're all about the cannons. Up the cannons. Um, yeah, follow us on the the twitters, the facebooks, the instagrams. Um, I think all of the the handles are at cannon stats. If you don't already subscribe to the Substack, please do. Lots of of great writing. Um, we are just absolutely just filling up the content machine lately. Um, certainly a lot more than I certainly planned. So yeah, I think it's a, a good thing to do. So yeah, let's talk some some Northland Derby. Um, what a game! I think that basically yes. turned out perfect. That's a, a double on Chelsea. The gap is fourteen points now, which is is quite nice. Yeah, and and you know what? Well, I think that one thing one thing that is finally maybe starting to sink in for me. Um, and I, I think you probably feel the same way on this one, Scott, is that in, in years past, we have seen this, like Arsenal approach to big games, not even approach might be the wrong word. Just like, just like how, what, what, to what extent they're showing up, um, in these bigger games and, and they come out and they look kind of timid and tentative. And, uh, you know, we saw it against Newcastle last season. It's just like kind of, kind of games like getting brought to, Arsenal. Um, mm-hmm. And, and I, you know what, after this one, I mean, I feel like even if you look at the loss to Manchester United, uh, this club, this particular group of players just does not do that anymore. <laughs> this, this yeah, game, and even the loss uh, against Manchester United, like I felt like, I mean, I felt we were significantly the better team. Right. The only thing that you could kind of say we were a little naive when it got to 1-1, where I think we got a little too amped up and left you know, kind of things open, but overall, like we played really well in that match. It was, it was really controlled. Um, and, and this is like, this is kind of the calling card for the, the first, what are we at? 18, 19 games of the season now. Yeah. Just about halfway point. Is that, is that Arsenal come out and it's kind of regardless of who the opponent is, it's like losing control of games is something that might happen for, 
for 30 minutes or, you know, kind of maximum at a time. Um, but, but I, I don't really think that Spurs really uh, took control of anything at any point until they were already down by two. Um, so it's just, it's been super encouraging and it reminds me more of a club that looks like they've kind of jumped over that crevasse into like city and, and good Liverpool territory rather than mm-hmm. like, well, you know, they show, they show little fits and starts of potential, but then they make a big mistake and, and they give up a, a an equalizer or they give up the first goal of the game. And then it's just kind of crap for the rest of it. Yeah. And I think, right. Like I think th- there was a talk about, Oh, can ha- Arsenal handle the pressure, especially, you know, kind of like, I don't even think Arsenal like crumbled last year. I think, Honestly, you kind of think about where Arsenal were at certain points. Like they had already like kind of lost top four, and then they battled back to be able to do it. Yeah, to get close. They were doing it without get back. Yeah, right. They were closer than probably they deserved to be at certain times, and I think that's something where again Arsenal dealt with a lot of pressure. I don't think that Arsenal crumbled by any means. I think they just couldn't handle like the squad. Like it just you know it finally got to a point there, and I think yeah, this year I think that has helped them a lot. Like there didn't really seem to be the moment being too big for Arsenal. Like you could see that it meant a lot, but I don't think yeah there was ever any moment where Arsenal felt shell-shocked, even when, you know, Tottenham were getting somewhat close to putting some pressure on Arsenal. It, it, it never really got to the point where they got, they were, you know, creating clear-cut chances or anything like that. No. And yeah, it's, I mean, it's just, it's just been so much, so much fun. I, and I actually, I actually maybe like 60 minutes into the game or maybe it was earlier. I did have the thought I was kind of thinking back to last season at the toilet bowl. Um, and you know, we have the kind of the disastrous first, like 20 minutes game's gone. Um, yeah. and I was, I was just thinking about who was in that game. We started Cedric in that game. We started and holding. Rob holding that game. Yeah. Uh, this, and, who, and was it El Nenny in midfield? This was like, this was not, uh, that team. <laughs> even just from a personnel standpoint. So uh, obviously, you know, we still, we still will sit here and worry about what will happen if, if party get, if, if he picks up an injury, you know, I think that personally, I do think El Nenny is, is capable when he's actually with the starters. I think, uh, I mean, God, he, against Oxford, he was one of a few guys who just looked like they didn't really respect the opponent very much. Um, but you, then you then you throw him out there at Old Trafford, and he has like a you know a world class game. So it's it's a little bit difficult to to know what to expect out of him. But this is, I mean, this was full strength, and and they just like it really just wasn't close. I know that Spurs racked up a bunch of XG after they were already basically done. Um, but you know, credit to Aaron Ramsdale. I thought I thought he was the man of the match. Uh, he's he's kind of had some ups and downs. Like I'm not. Personally, I'm not ready to proclaim him as like a as a complete success. I love him to death, um, but he does he does have his moments where he's kind of sort of the problem. Um, but you know, it seems like if he can come out and do this when when he's getting challenged, I mean, obviously that's every penny worth every penny spent was worth it. Yeah, I, I think I I definitely put uh, Ramsdale as my, my my biggest stock rising in my instant reaction yesterday, and I think he definitely earned it. Right, so he had seven saves. When I went and I looked at my post shot xG model, I had him saving just over two goals. So like he legit made some some really good saves. Um, 
and yeah, I think there was some of them that I think he really did need. So there was the the sun shot from the very, you know, I think it was at the 18th minute, which I never saw like a very good definitive replay of like that one. It seemed like if it actually had gone in, it might've been offside, but then there was the, you know, the Sessegnon, um one that it was right after um, halftime when things restarted. But then after that, yeah, like there was some just decent saves. And I think that kind of goes back to like Arsenal being able to like handle their pressure, like, after i think the 50th minute like they they only had like one shot uh, they, at least on the uh, the opta one they have one shot that's over 10% so it's like they never really were able to break down arsenal i think arsenal had more better chances in that second half even though tottenham took more shots like they were just really kind of taking speculative kind of things to be able to try to get back into it and yeah it never really bugged arsenal no it was it was maybe the most fun um, I've had watching our North London Derby just because yes, yes, we've had some great wins, uh, the past couple at home in particular, you know, the, the, like the, the great, like breakaway ESR, Aubameyang goal was, I mean, that was just crazy fun to watch. Uh, I think that one was three, one. And then the one earlier this season was a lot of fun, but I mean, just going to their building ending, ending, what was it? Eight, eight games there without a lot, without a win. Um, yeah, I think, yeah, I was going back to the 2014 the the title race. It just it just all added up to be so much fun. Yeah, and I, I was thinking back to that that 2014 match. So that was the the Rizitsky, um scores. I think he scores like in like the opening few minutes there. And I remember that one was a a hold on to your butts kind of match where it did not feel good at all to be able to even come close to that one. Yeah, I'm going to to look here when that goal uh, was scored here from Rosicki. It was in the second minute. And yeah, I think Tottenham really kind of uh, put Arsenal under quite a bit of pressure late in that one. Yeah. So I'd have to go back and, and look at it again. But yeah, that, that was the last time. And this one, I don't think had any of those same kind of nerves at all. And I think that was good. And I think that kind of shows like the gulf in talent and mentality between these two teams. Yeah. Tottenham just look like a Europa League quality team right now. And I think that's kind of where they're going to end up. Knock on wood or, or, or maybe as a lot of our listeners would say, touch wood. Um, yeah. I would love to see them <laughs> outside the top four. It's, a, it's, a, it's not going to be easy uh, to make the top four right now. The table is a little bit, is a little bit hairy kind of around that. Um, around that like yeah, it's congested certainly in that, in, that ro- in that range yeah uh, let me look you know, at what my five points off united with and united have a game in hand uh so they're five points off newcastle too that's not that's not a a, a small gap especially with i think you and i would both agree that newcastle particularly are playing like a more a more easy to sustain like winning brand of ball than spurs are spurs seem to have nicked a number of results uh so far this season Yes, yeah, so I'm looking here. So I ran a simulation last night and it's got Spurs about one in four to win or to get into the Champions League. So I, I think that seems about right. So, yeah, they've definitely dropped to fifth um, favorites to, to get in there. Um, and I and I don't even want to bring up my St. Totteringham's Day odds just because I don't want to potentially jinx things or be blamed for a jinx thing. But let's just say be excited. <laughs> can, can we say that? Yeah, let's just say be excited. <laughs> All right. Um, I think our, the next on the list was to to kind of talk some some Mudrick alternatives. So I know this is something that both of us have kind of looked at. I looked at it basically kind of looking at some Premier League kind of guys. I went through the the top seven or everybody but the top seven teams and kind of looked at who maybe looked on, you know, possible that or at least 
would be willing to like uh, kick the tires on. And I think you looked at with a wider glance to looking at the teams. I think we kind of to narrowed it down to a few that we have some at least rumors with, or it makes plausible sense to be able to do. And the one that you wrote about today uh, was Leandro Trossard from Brighton. So give us a, a rundown on Trossard. Yeah, I mean, Leandro Trossard is, is a pretty interesting player. Um, and I, you know, I think that, I think that like as a casual, he's very, he has been for the past couple of years, very easy to appreciate. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he shows up uh, in big spots for Brighton historically. Um, and, you know, you go back to earlier this season, I mean, his hat trick against Liverpool is just ridiculous. Um, so he's, I mean, to me, he, he is a very skilled player, right? He's, he's technical. Um, he's got like the versatility that a Mikel Arteta is going to be looking for. He has played um, kind of a few different positions. Like you go back to Graham Potter and a little bit early Deserby days. Um, he was even like lining up as more of like the left wing back and like a, what would you call it? Like a three, five, two setup. Yeah. Um, but also playing, also having played like a traditional left wing, although maybe he profiles a little bit more like an inside forward where he's going to be um, a little bit more comfortable in the half space rather than like way out on the touchline. But right. Cause I'll, I think he's, he's played some striker even as well, you know, especially, especially with the, uh, the like complete rise to popularity that Matoma has seen over the yeah. past like two, three months, it kind of ha- started happening like right before the World Cup. And then obviously he had a good cup and he's come back and been kind of nailed on on the left wing. So um, until his recent drama with his manager, uh, he was he was the guy starting up top. So obviously not a target man when he starts up top. I think it's more more of like in, in like a little bit more of like a false nine, like Diogo Jota type of profile. Um, and, and I actually somebody did make that uh, comparison to me on Twitter today. And I, you know, I don't think they're exactly the same player or anything, but I mean, you look at um, somebody like a Jota who uh, I think that, you know, Arsenal Twitter has kind of been crying out for our Jota for at least a couple of years, really. Mm -hmm. Right. Like we want, we want that guy who can be a spot starter at nine, who can play wide, who's like pesky and better than people think. Um, And he, you know, in a lot of ways that is Trossard to me. I think he's, I think he's a good, he's a good dribbler. Um, he is a creator. He's his creative, creative numbers since joining Brighton have always been good. Um, the, there obviously are a number of questions with him, uh, probably first and foremost at this point, just because of, uh, like the whole recency bias is, I mean, he's going through a hell heck of a lot of drama with his manager (laughs) right now. And that, I mean, that's a red flag, right? Is he, is he a guy who's just like, I got to play or I am not happy. Um, if he is, then I do not think that that is a good fit for Arsenal right now. I mean, like, let's, let's just be honest. The guys on the bench do not play a lot. Um, even the ones who are good. So, uh, I think that, that that's a potential problem. The reports that I've seen, um, the athletic being one of them, I think that's pretty reliable said that Spurs offered 12 million for him and it was turned down. So you get to the point, um, yeah, where they yeah, they wanted more than twelve. They they, right? they valued goes, him yeah. far higher. I think is the language. Yeah. So what is far higher? Is it is it double? Um, I mean, that's a significant jump up, right? Twenty twenty four million instead of twelve. Like that's that's reasonable enough. That's not. This is not like club altering money for Arsenal. Is it thirty? Is it forty? Like now, okay, now we're getting a little crazy. Uh, but you know, the good thing about him, he, I mean. 
he's not he he plays for Brighton, so that means he does not make a lot of money. Yeah, <laughs> Arsenal could Arsenal could double his salary, and he would still only be on eighty k a week, which is which is nothing, and it's and it is not a salary, not a wage, in my opinion, that Arsenal could not move on, especially for. And I think it would match the role that I think that we would envision for him yeah. at Arsenal. I think yeah. that's a an eighty k a week type salary is fine for you know, a, a guy that might be your second attacking option off of the bench when everybody's healthy, maybe even your third attacking option, right? You kind of think about like, if he comes in, we think about next year, everybody's healthy. You kind of think, all right, Smith Rowe might be ahead of him in the pecking order. And Kedia might be our first starter, our first striker kind of starter off the bench. And, you know, maybe Trissard's the third guy. You know, he would be a guy that maybe he gets 15, 20 minutes at the end of games. He would get maybe a spot start here or there against maybe a, a lower level team if we wanted to be able to you know, give a rest to a Martinelli or a Saka. And you feel good about that because he, I mean, he's been a starter uh, for Brighton for four years. So he, he's played a lot of every level of premier league game. Um, He's showed up against really good clubs. He's uh, going back to Arsenal's kind of collapse down the stretch last season. He had a goal against us. Then Uh, he had a run last April and May where he had, I think it was four goals and five. Um, so, I mean, he, he has played really well at, for stretches in the Premier League. So um, it's been interesting to kind of go online. You know, I kind of woke up and I turned on uh, Disney Disney Plus for the kids and started writing about him. Um, so I wasn't really looking at Twitter. And then I came online and, and there was a little bit of like almost like a like a snobbery about him. Um, I think I think if you're going to say like, no, no way, like don't you know, you could point to the age. You could maybe point to, you know, the, the drama with the manager, but you know, I do, I personally, like, I do not think he's not good enough to be the fourth or fifth attacker at Arsenal. If if you, if you sign a Trossard, you would have a, a five man attack essentially of Jesus, Eddie, uh, Martinelli, Saka, Trossard. And that's actually, that actually feels pretty darn good. If you ask me, Um, then you look, you, you know, you look at maybe throwing ESR Fabio Vieira in there as like, a little bit more of like kind of the fringe guys, depending on what their positions are supposed to be. Um, that that feels pretty deep. So I I certainly don't think that it is the best long term signing Arsenal could make. But because right, this is this is not a long term signing. This is a, a signing well, for like the next eighteen months. It's a it would be it would be a signing it would be a signing basically to it would be it would be an acknowledgement that they need help, especially this season. In my opinion, it would be yeah. it would be kind of taking taking a bullet for the next couple of seasons after this one in the name of trying to do better this this season and, and actually win the title because like I don't know somebody's gonna clip this and and I'm gonna <laughs> trolled on Twitter or whatever. In my opinion, who would help Arsenal win the league more this season, Leandro Trossard or Mikhailo Mudrik? I mean, to me, that answer is fairly obvious. Yeah, I agree on that one too. So. I think that's what that deal would be about. But again, I, I would not sit here and tell you that he would be my absolute favorite guy to sign. Um, but I, I wouldn't also, I also would not sit here and say if they, if they forked over like 23 mil, put him on 80 K a week, sign him to a three-year contract. I would not sit here and be like, this is a huge mistake. I'm sitting this deal out. I can't, I can't support it. Like somebody did recently about the Madrid thing. No. Yes. Yeah, so, I mean, I mean, I think part of the reason, like you can kind of look at this one and like, the ceiling of this deal is significantly lower than Mudrik, right? Like you can Very look much. at Mudrik and you think like you could project like, yeah, this guy like has like 
bags and bags of potential and like you could see a future where like he becomes a top five winger in the world Trussard's not gonna be there like he's just not going to be like that's like no. being 100 percent honest like he's not like he's not even gonna be like a top five winger in the premier league he's a steady starter on a team that is a you know what is what is Brighton right now they're seventh and i think that's a, a fair like kind of reflection like yeah he's a, a starter on like a fringe europa league team seventh that's a perfect yes. right like it's a perfectly fine person to have as a rotation bench option for a club like arsenal and yeah like so yeah like he doesn't he's not flashy he doesn't really move the needle but you think about what arsenal need right now it's just a little bit of depth a guy that can help to come in for the final 15 20 minutes right if he was able to bring him on against spurs that would have been really nice, right? You think about them pushing forward the space that was there to attack. And like, you could just, you know, look at Eddie and look at uh, Martinelli, look at Saka. They were all just kind of tired at 65 minutes, 70 minutes. And you have a, a guy that you trust to be able to kind of go do that and be able to have them be able to give more for those opening 70 minutes. And I think that just, that adds a lot. I think on a marginal gain section he is a guy that really moves the needle and you think about the threshold that arsenal are at right now where one maybe two points extra is huge for our you know ability to win the title when i look at it right now it's about 50 50 arsenal or maybe slightly ahead of that and if you can you know think about a player that moves us one additional point two additional points that moves it from maybe a 50 50 proposition to 65 percent like that is a huge huge marginal gain and like yeah you might even overpay for him maybe you do go 25 30 million pounds for him and you are certainly overpaying for a guy that you're not going to get a resale value in two years but if he gets you know you that champions league you're gonna be able to you know that pretty much would seal champions league i think a trissard and i think that would definitely move the needle on the title odds and i think that's certainly a move that is worth doing so i think that's that's trissard um let's see the the next one on my list here was rafinha so this is one yeah that i'm a little bit more skeptical of actually happening i mean at this point at this point like you know i i went on a bit of like a mini rant about barcelona and just in general last night players go to barcelona <laughs> they get too much money um they frankly become and so this a- is going to tie in with torres i think too right so i think we can kind of maybe we kind yeah. of take these as like a package deal right the, yeah, the just, we can yeah. call these the, the barca outcasts the guys that they're trying to push out the door yeah so i mean like kind of the, <laughs> the tweet that i kind of summed it up on last night and i think this is kind of my point with barcelona is uh, players go to Barcelona, they get overpaid. Um, you know, Barca are in all this financial trouble. And I'm, you know what, we've got this going on with Barcelona. We've got this going on with Juventus. Like, I am just too jaded. Like, I do not. Think, <laughs> I do. Like, I've been, for those of you who follow American sports, I've been watching, like, the NCAA investigate corrupt schools for years and not do anything. Like, I am not expecting any significant, like, actually significant fallout. Um, nothing fun. I'll, I'll put it that way. So for me, like it, I would not be shopping at Barcelona. I, I would say, you know what? You guys have my number. If you're trying to get rid of somebody, give me a call, but I'm not going to sit here and, and twiddle my thumbs and send you guys offers, especially not for a guy you signed six months ago. Um, the, and I think the thing too is like they have, I think, unrealistic expectations of what they can sell him for, right? Like he is a distressed asset and I they saw are 100 million somewhere. Which is crazy. yeah, like they want they want to make a profit on his sale. 
And, like, and I what? absolutely. This is a guy that you are. Every everybody knows you are desperate to sell these players, right? Because they are. I think uh, La Liga came through and really kind of tightened up the rules around the way they kind of did their financial shenanigans with their levers and being able to do things. And they budgeted their plan for next season on champions league semifinal revenues being able to come in. And then they crashed out at the group stages. So they have a huge hole that they're going to need to fill. And like there, I, I know you, you brought up the, maybe they don't get punished, but I think there is a legit chance that they may not be able to register some players if they don't make some moves or like yeah there, there might be something hanging over them that that kind of forces them but they're not acting at all like they have distressed assets that they need to they're get not. rid of no and so i mean this is kind of where my some of my cynicism comes from they've got they've got a number of guys if you study them um who are on like you've been with the club for a long time so we're gonna pay you whatever you ask for type of money like jordi elba um, Busquets and PK and I, I, is it PK retired, but I think they're still paying. Yeah. And I think Terstegan is on huge money and like, you just kind of look at their wages, but like bill and so, it's like stupid. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's more my expectation that you are basically going to see like, like some kind of surgery where, I mean, not, not dissimilar from what Arsenal did, where some of these guys are just going to reach like financial settlements with the club and, and leave like, Mosque or is it yeah, Mosque and club? Like they're just going to, they're just going to like void their contract and leave. Um, and then they, they signed, they signed a few different guys because of the, this problem um, to only one year contracts, Hector Bellerin being one of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, Andreas Christensen was another, like, I think those guys might just leave. So I'm kind of like, I'm Memphis is in the last six years of his deal. He's one of the top paid players at the club. Did I say last six years? I'm at six months. Um, so I'm kind of just expecting them to like get rid of some of these old expensive guys, re- reemerge from the shadows with like a core built around paid Pedri and Gavi Ansu Fati. Maybe they leave, maybe Dembele leaves, maybe they can't really pay him, but, um, you know, like they just, they just re-upped his contract, didn't they? Like Dembele, they like, so, yeah. Okay. Well then he'll stay. Um, but then they've got like Alejandro Balde, a very exciting young fullback. Like, I just think they're going to emerge like with that core, uh, like Rafinha, maybe maybe Cassier can stay. If not, they'll probably they could get rid of him. But I'm just not really expecting like Rafinha in per se to be a guy that they'll try to sell. That's just, I mean, I would take him. But Arsenal, Arsenal, remember they only offered 55 million for him over the summer. And if you can't get him for less than that, then I would just look look for somewhere else. Yeah. So I mean, yeah. To me, it's like I'd probably take you know expect like a 25 percent like discount off what he moved this summer, giving you know the the desperation that they want to be able to do. Um, I think same thing with like Torres, right? I think he moved for something in the 40 million euro range. I mean, who knows for sure? But I think again, like if it's a, a discount, like you're talking like 30 percent off like the retail price. Yeah, like that's when these kind of deals kind of make sense. You're 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 able to like take advantage. This is kind of like the old like Arsene Wenger thing that he used to be able to do is, you know, wait for a club to be able to get in trouble and you are able to then that's where you find maybe value. Like that's the you know how like Arsenal got Santi Crisola, right? There was the uh Malaga running into financial troubles and you know needing to be able to sell Santi. So Arsenal got him for basically a song because we were a team that was able to have cash on hand and be able to to pay up front to be able to kind of help. And I think that you know, this is the kind of situation for these type of players that at the you know the full market value, I'd say no. If it's on a discount, 
right? Where you, you know, again, like you move that that risk thing or what the expectations are for it to be a good deal significantly down where instead of him having to be, you know, a 50, 60th percentile outcome, like where even if he like doesn't hit where you fully expect, like you can still make a deal that works out for you. Like that is where like you really limit the downside and you really kind of maximize that upside. If, you know, maybe somebody comes again in two years or if you want to be able to kind of do things, you are in a much stronger position. Yeah, I mean, we we just did that. We I, well, we did it with a couple of guys, right? Zinchenko and Jesus. I mean, they were more or less distressed assets. They wanted to leave Manchester City. We didn't pay top dollar for them. Uh, Martin Odegaard, if you remember, if you remember the beginning of that summer, uh, the whole you know just after his loan, and he was our top target. Maybe it was James Madison, but like the the numbers being quoted for him at the start of the summer were much bigger than what Arsenal paid. Uh, if you remember, there was, there was 60 million being thrown around for him. They paid 30. Like that was in retrospect. Um, a steal. It, it was a steal. We are, I think we're in like the 98th percentile outcome on him right now. Um, and he, you know, he, we didn't get him in for the start of the season because we waited out Madrid to finally be like, you know what? Yeah, you can have him. Um, and that worked out really well. So I don't know. Um, I, you know, I would love to, I would love to have Rafinha in, but it's gotta be something like that, especially because they're paying him over 200 K a week. You know, you talk about Farron, he's, he's like 170 or so. So, you know, basically the, the wages that we're trying to give Martinelli and Saka. Um, and I think I don't like, he's nowhere near as exciting a player to me. I do. I do like the, the fact that he can play right wing or striker, but I mean, I, I watched him at the cup. I've I've looked at what he's done at Barcelona. I just I think that at one point he was a really good player. He went to Manchester City. He did pretty well there. You could even say quite well. Um, but he didn't like being in England, and he moved to Barcelona. And I mean, the dude just like broke it. That's all I can really say. Uh, somebody on Twitter tweeted at me. I think at Blahovic said, uh, you know, confirmed he's got no sauce. And I <laughs> I just feel I just feel like I feel like I I watch him and I just. He kind of so, looks like a sad dog sometimes. Like, I'm he just so looks like- uninspired by him. Um, if our, if Barca sold him for, uh, what was it? I think the summer report was that we tried to get him for in the 20s of millions. Like, yeah, mm-hmm. okay. But then, yeah, like that's, the, you know, again, like that's the, the, the discount on the market rate kind of a thing for him. And I'm, I'm a hundred percent like on Arsenal exploring those kinds of deals. But I would, I yeah. would want, I would want like hardcore, like, you know, Assurances that he's okay to come back to England because I think that is like the number one like red flag. Like you're okay living in London because I do not want to sell you to Valencia or Villarreal or something in two years because you hate it here. Uh, So having him literally, um, and I I, in the piece that I wrote, CanonStats.com, about him, uh, I I put it this way: he has experienced already. I think, in my opinion, the closest thing he will get to Mikel Arteta's culture um, at Manchester City. And he wanted to leave. Mm-hmm. To me, that's just like, how can you feel comfortable paying a significant amount of money for that guy? That's that's a big question for me. Yeah, and he's you know already maybe not super happy being behind Dembele at Barcelona. I, I don't think if he comes to, to Arsenal, his situation is that much better. Is he going to start above Saka? I don't think so. I mean, I think Saka has really kind of blossomed into potentially. Like, I mean, you know, maybe you know Salah is still there, but like, who else is it like? for right wing like who you putting above him right now like i don't know like torres isn't going to come in there he's not going to necessarily take jesus's spot as the starting number nine so i was like is he happy being 
the rotation type guy, you know, not yeah. being on 3000 minutes, maybe being, you know, 1800 minutes, 3000, you know, 2000 minutes playing some cup games, you know, playing the last 30 minutes of matches. I don't if know I were, if, if he's I able him, to do that. I would, I would say to my agent, if he really wants to leave Barcelona, I would say, uh, talk to, talk to like Real Betis, uh, talk to, you know, like I said, Valencia, um, you know, because if he likes to be in Spain, there are respect, perfectly respectable clubs that he could go play for in Spain and kind of reestablish himself as, as a good player again. Yeah. I mean, I, I, you know, to me, honestly, I'd, I'd go look at, you know, a Syria, a Syria team, you know, maybe if, um, you know, somebody leaves there like from a Napoli or from a, a Milan, you know, maybe that's a, a good landing spot to kind of go rebuild things. And, you know, at least the weather is somewhat comparable to what you'll get in Spain. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm just you know, throwing out ideas here for, for what he might be able to do. So let's switch focus back to Premier League uh, a bit. So this is one that I haven't really seen too many actual rumors for, but one that I think everybody kind of puts two and two together and kind of comes up with Zaha where, you know, he's kind of at the end of his deal. It kind of makes sense age wise. This would be his last chance to move to a, you know, a big club. I kind of see it again, but everything, everything always comes down to, you know, fee wages, contract length. Right. If all three of these things kind of make sense, I, I'm probably fine with like almost any deal to be able to, to do it. And I think Zaha, like talent wise, is fine. I think there is the question of he's the guy right now. Like, how is he being just a guy instead of the guy? I, I think that's one of those things. So I, I could kind of see where this one makes sense. But I think of all of the deals to kind of discussed, it maybe makes not quite the most sense. So I don't know. What, where do you kind of land coming down here? I think I think the idea is better than the practice. Um, so I mean, I think I think like first, let's frame this discussion a little bit. Um, like David Ornstein, you're not getting any more credible. Um, has reported already that Crystal Palace do not want to sell him in January. He is in the last six months of his deal, but um, I'm just I'm just telling you what Orny what Orny has spoken. So uh, the you know. I think he comes a little bit off the table because of that, unless it's just bluster and they're trying to get like 20 million instead of 10. But anyway, um, my whole thing on Zaha is, is really attitude based. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, we, we talk about this a little bit with Trossard, but um, I think that it's been around with Zaha maybe longer um, where he's, you know, I mean, he's, I, I don't know. I'm sorry, but I think, I think maybe he's, he's a little bit of his own biggest fan. Um, so it's, it's a little scary for me to bring that guy in, especially a lot older than the existing attacking talent and be like, Hey, you know, you're going to be like a, you're going to be like a guiding force for these young guys. You know, I think, I think they nailed it with Gabriel Jesus. He's like as unselfish as uh, of a player as you can get. Zinchenko kind of nailed that vibe too. So I think, I mean, you know, there's no doubt that he's talented and I think that the talent would definitely help. It's just, I think it's. You know, what role is he looking for? What contract is he looking for? He's 30. Um, you know, we have not had good experience with giving 30-year-olds and older uh, contracts lately. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't really fit the project there. I mean, he would. He, I think he would help the title charge, though. Yeah, I mean, if you're talking about for the next five months, four months, I think he definitely, you know, along with Trissard, I think Trissard actually probably is a, a better fit overall. But I mean, a guy that... 
could score you a couple goals off the bench. Zaha definitely, I guess, checks that box. Um, yeah, the the next year. I think Trossard next year makes a lot more sense. Zaha next year makes less sense. Mm-hmm. So um, do we want to talk a little uh, Mitoma? I don't know how to say the, the first name, Karua. I don't know. We'll just go with Mitoma wow. here. Um, yeah, he's kind of uh, exploded on the scene here at, at Brighton. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I kind of look at this and I don't think, I mean, Brighton will probably sell any player for the right price. I don't think they would ever say no and say like nobody is untouchable there. But I don't think that Matoma has a a reasonable price in January no. right now. I, I really wouldn't think so. Um, the So we, we said it earlier. I mean, Brighton are uh, in seventh place. They are legitimately pushing for Europe. If you, if you want to sit here and tell me that Brighton would not value going to European football, which is potentially transformative uh, from a revenue perspective, especially for, for a club that doesn't have a lot of revenue. Um, I would, I would say, you know what, I think you should probably reconsider that stance. Uh, so that's going to, for me, that's going to make Matoma priced at such a point that I think you really have to start questioning the, the ROI of that investment. Um, obviously, like, obviously this guy pops, uh, mm-hmm. he, he's having like a really, really, really good run of games, like probably five, six games in a row now in the premier league. But do you watch him play six? So I, I'm, I'm looking at it right now. He's, he started six games in the premier league. Do you look at that body of work and say, I am so convinced that this that this guy is a star. I'm giving him se- I'm giving Brighton seventy mil to get him. Uh, a year ago at this time, he was playing for Union Union SG in Belgium. They were the league champions, but I mean, he was he was a halftime starter there. Um, so, you know, I think I think you 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 at least in my book, you probably wait on him. Yeah, and his numbers his numbers were good in Belgium, but they were not like eye-watering good it's a little bit like like uh like Cavera Donna for me like um obviously and again oh man I'm just looking at that and he was only like only 1390s last year so again like we're talking 2090s total trying to be able to make a determination on a player the age is 20 you'll be 26 next season start yeah. yeah so it's not necessarily a young talent like this is no. like pure right in the smack of his prime for an attacking midfielder yeah it's i think i think that this is one of those players for for like a stat head like you or, or me where i would just say like yeah watching him clearly like it's very it's been really good but um when you start talking about spending like crazy amounts of money like if brighton would give him to Arsenal for 40 mil, I'd be like, yeah, you know what? Let's, let's, let's roll the dice on that. But I mean, I think, I think we would be pushing Mudrick territory. I really do. And like, like if you were going to try to get Caveradana from, and I, I call him Caveradana because I can't actually say the name um, from Napoli. Like I legitimately think Napoli would ask for like 150 million pounds for him. I really do. And would you, would you bet on his half season of production? Because in Russia and, and Frankly, in Georgia, he left Russia halfway through last season to go play in his home country. Like the stats were not that good. <laughs> so it's like, do you just do you like guys? Can, guys can just get it at a point. They can find the perfect fit and and things can click. But do you make that bet 
to the tune of 70 mil. Like if you're Arsenal, I, I would not. Um, and I just think, I just think Brighton, same thing with Caicedo. Like I saw, I saw something this morning and again, God knows how credible it is that they were like, that they're to move him in January. They want like 75 million or more. Um, and it's, it's exactly the same thing. Like I have a ton of belief in that player, but he's like been a starter for a season and a half at Brighton. And would I make a 75 million pound bet on him? No. Yeah. And I think if we're talking about like a summer move that kind of really excites me and makes me feel like all like giddy inside like the player that I'm looking at is like Raphael Liao. I think he is like legit, like superstar yeah. in the making. Um, He's got the, the longer track record of Sorry, being able to, to do things like, yeah, this isn't a, a one year kind of explosion onto the scene. You know, he kind of had his, you know, his growing pains where he was, he was looking good. He was, you know, just under 0.5. And now like he's taken, you know, he took a step last year where he was just under elite production. And now he's like full on, like really elite production. Yeah. So, I mean, if we're talking about a player that I think really kind of like, passes the the stats test it's Rafael Liao I think he passes the eye test too like he is just a a full lawn like you know superstar in the making perfect age profile all those kinds of things and we're you know talking about similar kind of price range right yeah the wages might be different but yeah price range transfer fee like he is yeah yeah right I think I think Milan are trying to re-sign him for like 150,000 pounds a week which would be which would definitely be a staying at home discount um my, my big question with him is that he, so, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm kind of, at least the links, the links are at least proving me wrong. We'll see what happens about the same point that I'm making uh, with Declan Rice um, is that Arsenal have a player who they're trying to pay as if he's got like top five in the world potential at left wing. I know his performances have been a little bit underwhelming um, the past three or four, but I mean, it's three or four games um, and he's been, He's been great for basically a calendar year going back before that in Martinelli. So, you know, you look at it and you say, well, is, is bringing in Liao to compete with Martinelli the same thing as bringing in Mudrick? And I, to me, it's it's like a complete unequivocal, unequivocal no. Um, yeah. Rafael Liao, team of the season in Serie A, uh, best player on the, on the champion in that league, um, having another good season right now, and I think they're in second or third. Um, so he's not, he's not the same thing, um, to me, he's already a star and he's, he's going to have his choice of places. And it's the same thing that's going to happen with Declan Rice, where, um, you know, it's a great project. And there's, there's actually literally an interview with Leao recently where he said he likes watching Arsenal and like, that's really cool. I love, I really love to see good players say that stuff, um, because it, it means that things are going well. But, um, you know, it's it's going to come down to, like, brass tacks. Is this a good enough role for what you, like, young superstar at age 23, want? Um, you know, I, I've, been, I've been pushing my chips out onto the no square on this topic publicly for a few months. So we'll see if I'm right or wrong. But that's just, that's my hang up with him. I'd love to see them sign him, though. Yeah, I mean, I think if he's a guy that is moving in the summer, he's not going now. I mean, Milan are are back from Napoli, but they are still fully in the, you know, title challenge and like they, you know, there's still people, you know, breathing down their neck to be able to, you know, solidify and they're still um, alive the Champions, in the Champions League, League spot. Yeah. Yeah, there's. I think yeah, they are she's still alive in the Champions League side. So I, I haven't checked the the Champions League because you know we still have about another Chelsea. month before that comes back. So and yeah, Arsenal are not in there yet. 
yet. They're going to be there next year, 100%. I believe it. All right, should we look forward to United? So I know one of the things after United beat Manchester City is that the Manchester United fans became out in full force, like, oh, now now we're breathing down your neck. And like, I, I think Arsenal fans were a little bit, you know, celebrating City losing. And I think that really kind of riled up the Manchester yeah. United fans saying, oh, no, we're, we're here for you. Because, I mean, I guess like, technically they are only one point back of Manchester City. Um, I mean... I, I don't see them necessarily as title challenges. Do you see them as legit title challengers? I, you know what? I, I think that, um, so Canon stats, we have uh, a project of mine that I stole from American baseball and uh, to a lesser extent, basketball, uh, the magic numbers. Mm-hmm. And if you, if you are a close follower of the magic numbers, I mean, their position has not changed because they beat city. So, I think that I honestly think that they were just they were sitting right there. They were just kind of looking for that result to give them that that swag as a fan base. Um, but to <laughs> to me, they were already they were already right up there. So I don't think that they're more down uh, Arsenal's neck than they used to be. Uh, I think you know this is a this is a title race. They're still they would be nine points back, right? So they. Uh, they're still going to have to make up some results. And I think that, I think that everybody in the top, you know, four and beyond is going to drop results throughout the rest of the season. So we shall see um, what happens with them, but uh, they're certainly on a great run of form, but what, what's stopping them from, from going to, I mean, Crystal Palace, bad example, but what's to stop them from going to Crystal Palace and losing in a couple of days? Um, I don't know. <laughs> Nothing much really. Yet. Marcus Rashford may be crashing back down to earth. Yeah. I mean, he's definitely in a, a purple patch and you know, it's good for him, right? Because it's like, you know, I think Marcus Rashford is a, a guy that you can kind of admire for some of his off field stuff and doing all those kinds of things. And so it's always good to see a player kind of reaching some of that potential, especially the injuries that he kind of went through that sapped him to be able to, to kind of do you know, some of the stuff that he was able to do. So you got to kind of feel for that on a a personal level. Seeing him do that is, is nice. I I look kind of at the numbers here. And so overall in my team ratings, they're fourth. Um, I look at just this season, they're fourth. Even if I go and look at, you know, just the last 10 matches that they've played where again, I'm never going to say that it's, it's a relatively easy run of form. So it was the 15th hardest schedule over that time. And you know, where they come out still fourth best, like it's a lot closer to like the top teams, but like to me, like their performance has improved, but it's improved from a borderline Europa league team to a borderline top four champions league level team. And, and I think that it's fair. Like, I think, yes, they've definitely gotten better being able to do those kinds of things. I think the uh, Ten Hogs system is still a work in progress. I think they are able to kind of do a little bit of everything. They, you know, look good when they're playing on the counter, being able to do that. I think their possession game could probably use a little bit more work, but I think they're still coming to understand that a little bit better. I think their players are starting to learn things. They, you know, losing Ronaldo obviously is a, an anchor that has freed them to be able to play much better. And I think that says a lot about where Ronaldo is at this point of his career. Mm-hmm. But yeah, to me, looking at them, if I had to choose between a team chasing us between Manchester City and Manchester United, 
I don't think it's again, it's a tough choice who I'd rather have yeah. right on my, my heels there as a, a team that's well, trying to make up points on me. Yeah. Partic- I mean, particularly as, as Arsenal supporters, um, like go back and look at last season, uh, go back and look at right, like Twitter the day, the couple days after Jesus went down, there is definitely a tendency to overreact to smaller runs or, or little bits of news. Um, that could potentially affect something. I mean, I remember I had people, and again, this is, this is the most dramatic version of this, but um, I had people in my mentions when Jesus went down saying, you know, by the time he comes back in March, Arsenal are going to be outside the top four. Uh, And I said, you know, my response to that at the time was if Arteta can't keep them in the top four for two months, he might want to find a new job (laughs) Uh, because it's, you know, it's just, it's just an overreaction. So city have looked pretty stale. Um, for a couple weeks, with the exception of... Yeah, I think the trying to find the balance there is still yeah. very tough, because obviously Holland is great, but you can definitely see that they are still trying to work out how to maximize them, because it's a drastic change from the system that they're able to do. I was watching, yeah, Match of the Day, and they were kind of pointing out some of the runs that you know, the, the teammates missed the, the Holland was making. And I think that that really could have done it is because it, but it's, that's just such a different style than, you know, the false nine that they played with for two years. Like the false nine did not make runs behind the defense. Those were, you know, expecting the wide players to be able to do more of that. And now it's just a, a different transition. So I, I don't, I don't dis I don't think that Pep can't figure this out and be able to do it. But I think this does open that window right now for Arsenal to be able to take advantage of them perhaps not being a 90-point team. Maybe they're only right. a mid-80s point team right now. Well, even if even if it's just so much, even if it's just, uh, just something like they drop some points for a, a period of a month that maybe they would not have been dropping otherwise, and Arsenal can maximize on that by or capitalize on that by um, by picking up all the points they're expected to and maybe some that they're not expected to, that would be good enough because they could come back. Uh, they could come back, you know, within the next couple of weeks um, and look like the Manchester City that had some people thinking they were never going to drop points ever again. You know, it's it's just sometimes these things kind of switch on and off. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you know, maybe, maybe Holland goes back to a guy that looks like he's going to score 50 goals in the season later this year. I mean, he's still got like what twenty four, something like that. Yes, yeah, I think he's got the golden boot pretty wrapped up. Um, yeah, but maybe maybe not challenging for you know the the overall overall scoring record. I think it's still potential there. Um, so, any expectations for the United match? I, I think it's it's still going to be very tough, right? This is you know, yeah, I, I kind of you know knocked him down a bit as like not challenge challengers, but like they're still legit, like the fourth best team in the country right now, and like that's still a hard match. I mean, it's it's definitely. I don't think it's going to be easy. Um, the thing, you know, we, we do have a lot of confidence coming off of doing what we did to Tottenham, but Tottenham also play a a different type of game than Manchester United do. Um, United caught us out on the, on the counter, uh, multiple times last time around. And I, I don't think that that is going to happen as much this time. I think we'll be more prepared Mm -hmm. for that, but, um, I, I expect it to be a tough game, but I think Arsenal, I I, I think this time I am expecting the three. I went, I went uh, a little bit pessimistic and predicted a draw for the derby for the North London derby. So, you know, this time, this time I'm gonna I'm gonna predict the three. Um, three points. Let's, let's yeah, say two yeah, one. Adam, let's you say heard two it here one. first. 
two one two one. All right, I, I think that's a a fair, reasonable expectation. I'm gonna. I think I'll go with you too, but I wouldn't be surprised if it's a, a draw here. I don't think that's the the worst result. I think if you had given me four points, you know, um, last week at this time, you know, between Tottenham and Manchester United, I would have taken that. I think that still keeps Arsenal in a, a very good spot, kind of holds them to kind of what their their expectations are. Um, but yeah, I, I think a, a two one feels right you know i I think it's gonna be two nil i don't think that manchester united are gonna break us down and i think that arsenal are gonna win it two 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 nil that's what i'm saying i'm going with it all right i've 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 talked myself from a draw to a two nil win that's how it works but but we we are all on two which means that you know it's gonna be clean sheet it's gonna be one nil to the united (laughs) yeah with another like dodgy offsides kind of given to him like i don't know me like that's a hundred percent an offside. Yes, I know that is like the result or a, a result that helps Arsenal, but like, oh my god, I would have been um, probably going bananas if that was given against Arsenal. Yeah, it's. Uh... <laughs> I haven't checked Dale Johnson yet today to get kind of the explanation of why that was not offsides. Because I mean, you look at any angle, like, like yeah, he didn't touch the ball, but like he made moves to get behind the ball to do everything but take possession of it, it right seemed, like he yeah. is it seemed pretty is, it seemed pretty systematic on his point like what what he was doing yeah like he doesn't stop he doesn't change his run to move away from the play like no he purposefully like moves behind the ball like i i've seen you know you kind of take out you know rashford from the drawing and you look at a kanji versus bruno fernandez and like yeah if if rashford isn't there I 100% a kanji think I think a kanji gets the ball first and clears it. Yeah. And I think Ederson has a different, you know, way that he takes out the ball. Like I know that's Ederson's weakness is like those type of one-on-one situations where he is like overly aggressive and like you, you look at, you know, John Harrison, you know, kind of like always kind of, you know, thrashes him on what he does in those situations, but yeah, I think he like, does yeah. less bad if it's, you know, Rashford's not there. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, well, that, I think they got lucky. It's it feels like a letter of the law versus the spirit of the law thing. Like I, the point of it is is that the I mean uh, affecting the play right. It's got as much to do with the ball as it does the the defense's reaction. So if the defense is treating you like you're a threat and they're all, I mean, I guess maybe if you're going to be a complete devil's advocate, you should say, well, you know, you should you should know that the player is offside. You should treat him like he's offside and ignore him. Well, I for me, like these are snap decisions, and in the moment. I don't know that I would be able to do that. So I, I don't. Yeah. Cause you think about like what, what a kanji does, right? Right. Like, so a kanji steps up and plays him offside, but it's like, you don't know if, you know, somebody, you know, who's playing right wing or right back there, like it's didn't see that and stepped yeah. off. Right. We've all seen those where people step up and, you know, you think you're playing them offside only for, you know, somebody who's well down in the picture to be playing them onside. Particularly and, like, that's, Arsenal you know, supporters have seen that. Yeah, we've all seen that. We've, <laughs> I think we've seen Cedric do it several times. Oh, boy. Yeah. <laughs> all I, right. I think I that's a, a good spot to kind of end things bashing on Cedric. Who is he going to move? Is he going to move? I don't know. I mean, he wasn't even in the squad yesterday. So it doesn't feel yeah, like it, he's part of the team anymore, does it? Yeah, like the Fulham move has kind of fallen apart there. I, I haven't seen much coming for so, that move. You're you're going into the 90th minute. You're dropping all these results. Like you are crying out for a new right back. Let me tell you. 
Come on, what's, what's more, we will give them to you for like a, a song. So yeah, maximize like, yeah. this project, Boom, like, Marco Silva. Make Europe sign Cedric. Europe, Europa League. He's Let's there. Play. He's got the experience of playing in the Europa League and you know being that type of player. He was. He's one of the best Europa League players of the past several seasons at right back. <laughs> Lock it up. All right, Adam, this was good. I think our, our second edition of this is, has gone quite smooth, and I think our, our sound quality and everything is going to be better. We'll see if my if my production um, can also step up. So it was it was fun. Good to talk to you. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, everyone, for joining. Uh, sign up for canonstats.com. I'm sure we'll be writing a lot about Declan and Leandro and everyone else uh, who might get linked to the Arsenal here over the next couple of weeks and also the next five months. Yeah, so thank you, guys. Bye-bye.